Thanks for tuning in today to our Wednesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we will be continuing our study in the book of 2 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. Just like David begins a new area and a time for his success, a new challenge rises up. So God works mightily in David's life. The devil's also at work, and he brings opposition against David. Now think of this, and remember this. This is the first battle with the Philistines since the battle of Gilboa, since the battle when they killed Saul and his sons. So it's been at least eight years now since the last time they were in battle with the Philistines. So... It seems as though as long as David was fighting Ishbosheth and they were having their little skirmishes and things like that, the Philistines remained securely in their land as well as some of the cities that they had taken from Israel before that. But now that Israel's united under David, the Philistines think that the best thing they could probably do is some sort of preemptive strike. We should go out against him before he unifies, gets stronger, and comes back against us. So the Philistines camp in the valley of Rephim. Now, uh, Rapha was the name of a giant that you can read about in 2 Samuel 21. His descendants are called Rephim. Thus, David is going to fight the Philistines in the Valley of Giants. And once again, David is going to prove what? He is a giant killer. It speaks of his past victory, and it's going to speak of his future victory here. Verse 19, so David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I would doubtless deliver the Philistines in your hand. I love this. God is going to honor David's dependence on him. And I'm here to tell you something. God will always honor your dependence on him. Always. And he's going to give him great victory. And God will always give us victory when we depend upon him. David does not act without God's guidance. He's a great warrior. Yet he still goes to his commander-in-chief. says, well, they're out there. Logic would say I should face them. But before I go and do that, I'm going to inquire from the Lord. Maybe I'm not supposed to face them. Maybe God wants to do something else. So he goes to the Lord. And the Lord says, nope, go on out. No doubt I will deliver the Philistines in your hand. So David went out to Baal Perazim. And David defeated them there, and he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal Perazim. Baal Perazim means master of the breakthrough. Baal means Lord or master. God is proving himself to be the real Lord or master. And then it says, And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Images means idols. The Philistines left their idols behind. You might remember there in the battle there of Gilboa, when Saul was killed, what did they do? In 1 Samuel 31, 9, it says they cut off Saul's head, stripped off his armor, sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols among the people. They took Saul's body and they paraded it around before they stuck it up on the wall there. Uh, and, and so they took it through their temples and paraded it before their idols. Now, in the Valley of Rephraim, I find this very interesting, or Rephraim, the very idols they were credited with the victory over Saul and his army, that battle's kind of reversed here because what they do is they leave behind their idols and their idols are now being taken away. And it also kind of reverses what that battle of Aphek when the Ark of the Covenant was taken to the Philistines placed, in their, um, placed there before their idol Dagon. 
And so, uh, so there's kind of a reversal here. Now their idols are being taken away. I find that very interesting. Now, in spite of this loss, what happens? Philistines try again. Then the Philistines went up once again, deployed themselves in the valley of Rephim. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord. And he said, you shall not go up, circle around behind them, come up from them in front of the mulberry trees. Now, this is, this is a... Um, this is something that I think that we that is a trap that we sometimes uh, fall into. You know, I've done it this way before and it works, so I'll do it that way again. And you don't inquire of the Lord. You know, David's going, I always beat up on the Philistines. Should be nothing new here. I'll just go beat up on them again. He doesn't do that because you know what that thought process is? It's pride. It's pride. And so David is saying, no, maybe God has a different way of doing something. And so he's wise enough to go, you know what? I'm still going to inquire the Lord. You don't need to do that. This is how he blessed last time. I'm sure he's going to do it again. Oh, man, that's the sin of presumption right there. You inquire of the Lord every time the enemy approaches. And so, again, he goes to the Lord. And this time he says, you shall not go up. Circle around behind them. Come up from them in front of the mulberry trees. And so God is telling them, guess what? It's not going to be the same way this time. There's a different strategy. You're going to go behind them and you're going to surprise them from behind. You're going to wait for my signal as you hear the wind in the bullberry trees and then you're going to attack from behind. I believe this shows that God does not want to be put into a box. I believe that this is God's way of saying, I bless in many different ways and I don't want you to fall prey to a rut that this is the only way I bless. He can bless in a multitude of ways. And so, the only way you're going to know what God wants you to do is by waiting on the Lord because you don't know how God is going to bless. And that's why he wants us, that's what continues to keep us on our knees is because he might want to do something different. Every now and then, God will put on my heart, I want you to take everything off the calendar. Take everything off the calendar. I just want you to listen to me of what it is that I want you and this fellowship to do. Just because we had a marriage retreat and God blessed this last April. Doesn't mean he wants us to have another one next April. Just because we've had a great women's Christmas dinner last year and the year before doesn't necessarily mean he wants it this year. And so we need to continue to pray, Lord, is this what you want us to do? But we look at it and we go, but there's been such a blessing with this. Every time we do it, God blesses. Okay, but pray anyway. Does he want you to do something different? No, I'm not hearing anything different. Okay, then do it again. But don't just do it again and do it again because there's been a blessing. Pray over it. Do you want us to do this again? Because just because it was a blessing last time doesn't mean it's going to be this time. Maybe he wants to bless, bless a different way. You know? So it, it's something that we, we constantly have to be reminded. Hey, this is coming up. Hey, the Philistines are, hey, it's this time of year again. I know but I think we should pray. Lord, do you want us to do this? It was great last year. It's been very fruitful, but maybe you want to do something different. And we need to pray about those things. We need to pray about those things. Verse 24, and it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees that you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geber as far as Gezer. There's all sorts of, thoughts out there with the uh, uh with the sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees from Spurgeon to other people saying it was it, you know it, it was the angels themselves and all this kind of stuff and it could be 
That's great. But they were to wait until they've heard that sound. Whatever that sound was, then go. And they did, and God blessed. Just being faithful for what God has said to do. Now, I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 17. We have finished chapters 4 and 5. In record time, I might add. But one of the reasons, I hope I wasn't going too fast, but I wanted to get through this is because David, as he's being anointed king over Israel, is going to do something that Saul did, and all the kings are supposed to do after him, which I find absolutely fascinating here. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, these are the rules for kings in Israel. Look what it says there in verse 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So Moses is speaking here. God, through Moses, has told him this. When you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you, and possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. God is the one that chooses the king. God is the one that anoints the king. He chose Saul because of their lack of faith. And then he chose David because he had a heart after him. Both anointed, but God chose both of them to be king. God never chose Ishbosheth. Abner did. <laughs> but God didn't. So God's going to choose him from among your brethren, not going to be a foreigner. We see this in, in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, when, when um, uh, Abner himself said this, as well as was explained to them later on, hey, David is part of your brethren, so he's part of the brethren, he's not a foreigner. Um, set you over king, that you may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Verse 16. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Israel's kings are not to rely on horses or armies or military strength is what that means. So, you're to trust God. We're going to see David violate this as he then counts his armies. Well, why would you count your armies? Don't do this thing. Why would you? Pride. I just want to know how big and bad I am. I want to know how many armies I have, you know. It's pride. We see Solomon do this. Solomon ends up building cities just for his horses and chariots because it's a pride thing. Pride starts to get involved here. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. We see David do this. He already has a few wives right now. He has a few more coming, Okay not supposed to multiply wives for yourself. And this is speaking more specifically in the way of marriage alliances with other nations. But he is going to take, um, uh, you know, an Egyptian bride. We see Solomon do this. And what happens? All those wives turn his heart. 700 wives, 300 concubines. <laughs> Just think of all the in-laws. <laughs> I want that. So he's telling them, this is not the way kings are to behave. This is not what they're supposed to do. And then in verse 18, also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of the law of this law in a book from one before the priests, the Levites. The law. David is going to sit down and write out 
the law. And it shall be with him, he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart, here's the reason for doing it, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So David, once he's anointed king, is supposed to write out the book of the law. He's supposed to write out the law. The law is the book of the law so that he could have a copy to read every day. Do you have a copy of God's word? Think maybe you should read it every day? The king of Israel is supposed to. King of Israel is supposed to. If all these kings would have done this, written down the law and read it every day, they wouldn't have fallen to a lot of the sins that they fall prey to later on. They would have remained humble. They would have been able to rule righteously. The, the number one quality you want in a king or a leader is wisdom. Wisdom can only come from God, by the way. Wisdom in the book of Proverbs means uh, skill in living is what that word means. It means it can be a learned thing. It's not intelligence where, I'm sorry, there, there are some of us here, myself included, this is about as good as it's going to get. All right? I can learn more things, but I'm not going to be intelligent as the Mensa person or this person that just is off the charts. That is just some natural DNA thing that the Lord has given you. It's awesome. But wisdom is learned. It's learned behavior, and it means skill in living, meaning you can live correctly. It is learned behavior. It's not something that breeds from intelligence. There's all sorts of intelligent people out there that have no ounce of wisdom. Because the difference between wisdom and knowledge, knowledge brings about intelligence, is that knowledge is applied Wisdom is applied knowledge. And there's a lot of people who have all the knowledge in the world, but they don't apply it. And they don't have wisdom. But they're very smart, they're very intelligent, but they don't have wisdom. Here's how you have wisdom. You write down the law, you read about God's word every day, and you make sure you do the things that are written there in God's word. And then you'll be wise and you'll be humble. Go to Joshua 1, verse 6. Joshua 1, verse 6. As Joshua is about to enter into the promised land, God tells him, he says, hey, look, have I not commanded you to be strong, of courage, do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Here's the thing. Courage takes place by standing on the word of God, doing what God's word says above and beyond how you feel. That's courage, and that's Christian maturity, by the way. Verse 6, be strong, be of good courage, for to this people you shall divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right hand or the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Do not turn from the right or the left means do not deviate from the straight word of God, that path that he has put forward. Prosperity comes, success comes from staying on the straight path of God's word. Interesting that the word wrong that is mentioned here comes from the word wrung or twisted of not being straight. 
God would not have told Joshua to be strong and very courageous twice if he wasn't going to need it because there's going to be all sorts of things that come your way that's going to make you want to deviate from what the word of God says. But strength and courage means you stay on God's path. So Joshua is going to be strong and courageous by observing and doing what the law of Moses says. In, in Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate a day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. David is supposed to write out the book of the law, that he is king, and by writing this out, reading it every day would have reminded him of who God is who he serves. Now here's a question that I have for you. How long would it have taken David to write out the book of the law? Because we're not talking the Ten Commandments. The book of the law that Joshua should be meditating on here is the word law there is Torah, which actually means teaching and instruction is what that word means. And what is the book of teaching and instruction? It's the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch. I find this very interesting because in Exodus 7.14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek under heaven. So the book. Exodus 24.4, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning, built an altar to the foot of the mountain, 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, when, um, when Moses was up on the mountaintop there at Mount Sinai, yeah, God was writing out the Ten Commandments on the, on, on the uh, stone, um, but was writing out other things for, for the tabernacle. But Moses was writing down things. Numbers 33.2, Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys at the command of the Lord. These are the journeys according to their starting points. That would mean the whole book of Exodus Numbers, Deuteronomy. Wow. Leviticus is in there too, yeah. All those books have to do with their journey. So he wrote those all down. We know that. Deuteronomy 31.9, So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. Now therefore, write down this song for yourselves. Teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness to me against the children of Israel. He also wrote this in the law. This song would be in there. Deuteronomy 31, 24. So it was Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book when they were finished. The book of the law speaks of Genesis through all the way the first Pentateuch, all the way through Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. In the New Testament, it refers to Moses as the author of, of the Pentateuch in Matthew 19, 18 and Mark 12, 26. Jesus says, now as the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This speaks of the book of Exodus there. Romans 10, 5, for Moses writes about the righteousness, which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. Paul quoting from Leviticus 18, 5. John 5, 46, for if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how shall you believe my words? What writings? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the book of the law. So how long did it take David to write out the book of the law? Now, they didn't have chapters. 
okay? But we have chapters. So just for argument's sake, let's say you took a chapter a day. Because I'm pretty sure he's not doing it eight hours a day. But maybe a chapter, if he took a chapter a day to write out the law, and you have 50 chapters in Genesis, you have 40 in Exodus. Let's see how good I am here. In Leviticus 26. I, I went over this before, so I'm, I'm trying to remember. Uh, Numbers 36, and then Deuteronomy 34. I believe that's 187 chapters. A chapter a day. That's six months. That's half a year. If he took a chapter a day. Now, it seems like he gets interrupted by the Philistines. I'm not saying he's not godly enough to get up early in the morning before he, I got to write out my chapter. Before I attack the Philistines. I'm... I, I, I'm sure there were some things that probably came in that maybe prolonged it. Here's the thing. David's not perfect. So is it a possibility as he's writing it out? Because we know this about the rabbis. We know this about the scribes. When it came to copying a scroll, they would count the letters, the spaces between the letters. So when a page is done, they count it up. They read it. They make sure. Wait a second. There's 260 letters on this page. There's 259 on this one. They rip it up. They tear it up. They start over. Is it possible that David made a mistake from time to time? To where the priests come in, they look at what he wrote, make sure it's perfect, great. One day, uh, I know you're the king and everything. This ain't going to fly. And maybe he needed to write it again and again. Hebrew is not an easy language to write. It's not cursive like we have today that we could do that. Most of us don't even know what cursive is, but because now we have computers that we could just type so fast. But I'm here to tell you, I think to write out the book of the law was a very laborious task. To ingrain it in their brain of their history, where they came from, who God is. They're to read it every day to remember who it is they serve. How much more should we? Because we have it from Genesis all the way through Revelation. To remind us who God is, to remind us who we are in his eyes, what we've been called to do. It's a reminder. Joshua was told to meditate on the word day and night. The word meditate there means the chewing of the cud that you're thinking about over and over and over again. How much more should we? David had to have done this. He should have had an, uh, and he does, has an amazing start here to his kingship. Saul did a wonderful job when he first started off as well. But I would bet you anything, he stopped reading the word of God. That's why he went in the ways he did. I would submit to you that Solomon would have done the same thing. You can only worship other gods when you stop worshiping the one true God. Somewhere along the line, every single one of these kings would have stopped reading the word of God. And I would say that's where we get in trouble as well. You hear it time and time again, read the word, read the word, read the word. We know that. But did you know that David was told to do that? And to write it out? Never can the bowels of That's all we have time for today on this Wednesday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel. 
If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.